Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Sometimes 
3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Out of the pan with Sally, first broadcasting noon to one Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledging any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander peoples um, listening in from whichever land you're on that makes up this continent. The lands were stolen and never ceded. Lots of ways to get in touch with the show. You can um, email out of the pan 855 at gmail.com. You can SMS 61456 751 215. You can tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And you can um, Look for the posts on Facebook on my page, Sally Goldner, and Out of the Pan, 3CR 855am Melbourne. And any opinions on this show are my own personal ones and most likely the same for any guests on the show unless otherwise stated. Um, if there is anything of a distressing nature, please remember to utilise the services of Switchboard 1800 184 527. And we opened up today with Melissa Etheridge um, and a, one of her classics, which I actually don't think gets enough of a, a Guernsey, and that's um, heavy. I just love that particular one. And played Melissa and a lot of the other music today because today is a day that I didn't know about until a couple of years ago, International Lesbian Visibility Day. And it is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show someone who's, um, well, we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, and that's Karen Field. Karen, welcome to Out of the Pan. And I can't believe this is the first time I think I've ever had you on. <laughs> Hi, Sally. And it is, it's wonderful to always chat with you, but uh, particularly on this topic. Well, yeah, it's um, an important one today. And all the same, we don't assume anything about anyone's identities in relation to sexuality or gender. We listen with an open mind, so we will check. I will check in if you're okay to state the pronouns you use, if any. Yes, I use uh, she/her pronouns and uh, have been an out proud lesbian now for wow, thirty five years, I think, around. Okay. Now. So you're about um, 40 years old. <laughs> we actually, we value all ages as well, of course, on this show. <laughs> but there, there is something, if you have been out, regardless of which age you came out, I'm just doing some mental arithmetic, 1985. Um, <clears throat> for our LGBTI communities, I suppose, there's a lead into our conversation. I mean... Yeah, it was far from positive in those times for any of us, including gays and lesbians, although things have progressed. What was what was it like trying to come out in 1985? And yes, you and I both remember an era that was before internet, including dial-up. Tell us about that. Well, um, I grew up in Aotearoa uh, in New Zealand. Um, I... Um, came from a family that uh, struggled um, with uh, experiencing kind of intergenerational family violence, I guess, in a range of ways. Um, but also spent time where I wasn't with my family as a result of some of those sorts of things. So, um, uh, you know, that through those kind of challenges, it was 
really fascinating to me when I reflect back on it that um, I had uh, an opportunity to spend a lot of time with basically lesbian women and, and a lot of trans women in particular who really sort of looked after me and took me under their wing. Um, so in a kind of strange way, um, coming out um, as a lesbian woman was really kind of easy in that environment. Um, and I felt really kind of safe in that environment, but it was only one part of, of my identity, I guess, back then and the struggles of, of uh, dealing with the kind of, you know, growing up with violence. Um, uh, and, um, you know, the kind of repercussions of that uh, was, was, you know, at times kind of rebelling out in ways around kind of drug use and things like that. So that put me uh, potentially in a lot of kind of harmful situations, but um, I'm really thankful for the kind of lesbian women and the trans women in particular that um, became really kind of surrogate families and kept me safe during that time. Yeah, there's a lot, <clears throat> a lot in that, and I feel, given your mention of At Atararoa, um, we need to acknowledge Native and Indigenous peoples the world over. Um, once again, if anything, we did mention the issue of family violence. If anything is distressing, please contact services like Switchboard, and we, um, and also with respect, um, acknowledging any interests in that <laughs> that either of us may have. Um, but um, and also, you know, um, a couple of things though in terms of questions. You know, trans people well, weren't hugely visible in a way in many parts of the world. We know, of course, people, there's all sorts of ways to do gender identity and gender expression since time began. But it's interesting that you did connect in with so many trans women. Obviously, I'm aware of the history of the fabulous Georgina Byer and what she's done. But um, how did you find those communities in a way? I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, um, in a range of ways. Um... Uh, one of the kind of most protective things for me uh, was probably the fact that actually I was, uh, despite it having times where I kind of, as a young person, was probably sort of fairly vulnerable and living out of home um, and heading into um, probably some of that sort of street culture around um, drug use and, and um uh institutions institutions etc of course within those environments um there were uh, a lot of kind of trans women um who were really kind of struggling and and feeling the experience of um discrimination etc that of those sorts of histories and a lot of them were trans women of color in particular um so uh, i had um an enormous um uh, connection with um, growing up with Māori and Pacific Island communities and in fact my own family um, had, had um, connection with my um, grandmother and great-grandmother kind of growing up in Samoa etc so um, and then also playing sport there was um, uh, so many Pacific Island and Māori women um, I played sport with etc so um, and then there was the kind of massive sort of, you know, I think if I think about every single kind of movement back in those days, whether it be, you know, it was the 80s with HIV, um, 
it, it was land rights in New Zealand, it was the homosexual law reform bill, um, like so many kind of civil rights or, or rights movements, um, lesbian women and indeed trans women were at the forefront. Um, and it says so much about, I think, um, uh, you know, the kind of uh, fighting for everyone's rights, not just their own rights. Um, and mm -hmm. so I was so lucky to, to have those values, um, let alone, you know, my own struggles and the way in which they then kind of nurtured and sort of looked after, after me until I sort of much later returned to kind of living with, um, with my family some, some time later. So these people were incredibly influential in my life in terms of their nurturing, their lifting up of women, um, uh, the centering of women of colour, um, despite, um, you know, uh, uh, the kind of racism, you know, and, and discrimination and multiple forms of kind of discrimination that they um, experienced. So I was involved in lots of those kind of movements. Um, and, and that included, you know, even say within the kind of 80s, I can remember, and then later on in my sort of um, working with uh, women um, who found themselves connected in with the um, criminal justice system and being criminalised in a whole range of ways because of their drug use or their sex work or whatever else um, them uh, kind of um, experiencing discrimination within queer as well um, in terms of accessing support and services. So, you know, I just, um, it is such a part of the kind of centering of my values and and those early kind of experiences um, of these incredibly nurturing women. Which is, <coughs> excuse me, which is just, well, so excellent, um, you know, um, that there is that sort of broad um, approach of lifting people up. We sometimes, you know, as we know, sadly don't see that in others. So you got a really good grounding very early, which is really awesome um, in that. And, you know, I was just wanting to put a, a time frame on. So you were still, it sounds to me like you were in New Zealand at around the start of the millennium in around 2000. You were still living there? No, I came back. I, uh, I think I spent um, uh, yeah, no, the millennium I was living in Australia. So I came to Australia when I was about 23. Um, and uh, in a way, if you grow up as a kid who's who and why I mention those kind of personal stories in terms of on one level is that it's not uncommon you know it's a common experience for lesbian women whether cis or trans to experience um uh you know um, traumatic experiences of abuse etc either within family or within community um as a as a child and one of the things that kind of goes along with that um that became a a great thing for me was that in a way I could, uh, when I first came here um, as a 23 year old, could reinvent myself. Uh, so that my identity was not just, um, if you come from a small, small kind of 
country, a small town, everyone knows your backstory. Um, and I had, by coming to Australia, um, whilst I left a lot of incredible supports, um, I was able to, in a way, kind of reinvent myself. So um, I was able to take those kind of um, early experiences and uh, actually channel that towards a career in working in the health and wellbeing sector and, and actually went to uni and did all those things actually here. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think um, in a way they were kind of fundamental to working out um, and giving me an opportunity to think about the way in which I gave back, uh, which is incredibly healing in a way. Um, I can, I also am acutely aware of my privilege in that as a, as a white cis woman. Um, uh, and I think, um, you know, particularly in the more recent times, I think I've, it's really uh, understanding and wanting to center women of color um, and the, the, the levels of experience and oppression that, you know, our First Nations people, let alone First Nations women experience. And um, I think we're at a time now that we have to actually reflect on that as both mm. the broader Australian community, but LGBTIQ plus communities as well. Um, and there's a real need for us to, to think about our own privilege and even the way in which history is written. Um, I think about, you know, lesbian women um, have been at the forefront, as I said, of so many kind of movements. Um, but there's a cost often of that in terms of the uh, invisibility of our own needs. Um, yeah. So whilst I'm incredibly proud um, of, uh, you know, the, the, my experience as a cis white lesbian, you know, white passing white woman, um, I have to, I know we've got a long way to go and part of that is about um, really understanding and, and centering um, other um, women, women of colour, et cetera, and their experience of that. And um, that is fundamental to, I think, who, what I want to see in lesbian women and us um, lifting up other women. And um, I think there's a long way to go in that. Um, this is Separation Street and I am going down it once again There's a tip behind the houses and today it's looking like an old friend Oh, I took a load of junk down there, came back and felt so glad I'd be beginning to forget you some new life in I am somewhere on the road to letting go In hearing that the journey can be slow Separation Street, don't I know I remember when a letter or a card from you Sometimes I would look at them when 
that kept on burning till the midnight hour And somewhere on the road to letting go In hearing that the journey can be slow Well, there is a, there is a saying I can't remember. I think it's author unknown. You can tell who the strong women are. They're the other the women lifting other women up, which is always good. And you know, there's a few things that have come out of that. I'm talking with Karen Field, who's had an amazing journey and is sharing with us that journey with us on International Lesbian Visibility Day. Um, you know, you touched on your privilege as a white cisgender woman. I'll focus perhaps a little more on the white and we'll say relatively Anglo-Saxon part of that first because you've done um, a heap of work in Central Australia with um, Aboriginal um, people and I will say Aboriginal maybe Torres Strait Islander as well but um, and I, I'm you know curious to you know perhaps what sort of thoughts in relation to that generally but also how might seem obvious but just sharing your experiences on how you've managed to use what privilege you have to be an ally to those peoples in um, I'll start with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and then you know perhaps see if there's um, compare and contrast for as a cis woman assisting trans women and trans and gender diverse people how have you managed to use that privilege? Um. I feel like I probably haven't used that privilege enough in a range mm. of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I think uh, if I'm really truthful, it is far more about what I have learnt from working in particular um, with um, our First Nations people, but also um, uh, I was involved in... A, in um, working with a lot of remote Aboriginal community people, right, both um, on the coast and in the kind of uh, 
desert uh, right across um, Northern Territory. Um, and this was in the space of, of looking at, um, uh, I was working at Beyond Blue at the time, and um, it was um, looking at the um, impact and particularly incredibly high rates, obviously, of suicide within the, within the Aboriginal community. Uh, and Torres Strait Islander community. So um, what, one of the projects that um, was incredible and I learned so much, I spent time um, developing um, a, an entire workforce of, like we have um, Aboriginal health workers in a lot of those um, uh, remote communities. We um, went embarked on developing up a, an Aboriginal mental health workers and had uh, both um, men, male and female um, uh, workers that actually undertook that kind of training. And what was incredible was um, uh, the, the way in which um, often when you talk about working in those communities, it's not a sense of, oh yeah, I have a job and then I leave that job and I go home. When you work with um, First Nations people in those communities, there was no separation between what is personal and professional. And I learned incredible amounts of the way in which um, they pushed us to to not just think in terms of the um, you know the the end result, which is dealing with people with acute mental health, but all the things that we have to do culturally, we uh, in order to um, build resilience and, and safeguard people's good mental health. Um, and it was just, I learned an incredible amount that actually when you sit down, instead of asking, just listening to ideas about um, this idea, mental, um, when, it, when to talk about mental health in a lot of those Aboriginal communities was to far more talk about spiritual health. And so just talking about the brain miss completely kind of missed the mark um and uh yeah so in terms of um centering the work um the voices of um aboriginal and torres strait people strait islander people and i've seen this in um aotearoa and new zealand as well the benefits of cultural ideas about spiritual uh, emotional health if white Australia and white New Zealand would listen. We they've been doing public health way before we even invented it, um, and that's been my experience um, all the way through uh, in working with um, across different countries with Indigenous people. Um, you know that that you actually learn that what we now talk about is evidence based public health work <laughs> these traditional cultures have been practicing for years but we get in the way we muck it up and um the horrendous experiences and impacts of colonization gets in the way yep once again if any content is upsetting please talk to someone um including switchboard on 1800 you've touched on something there that i wanted to come back to about reflecting on where we are at this time and you've done it without me having to ask which is talking about more than mental health um emotional health spiritual health it almost you know comes into holistic health which i still don't 
personally, in my opinion, I don't think we get we cover enough, and um, I think we need to consider the whole caboodle um, and how it connects for for sure. Coming back, um, you know, then to trans women, and then we'll link that into International Lesbian Day of Visibility, where we'll say lesbian and is the I'll use the, my phrase the centre of the intersection, but also very close to that centre are queer, trans um, women all around. Um, you know, obviously worth asking, what does this day perhaps therefore mean for you in light of all your experiences? And there's many, many more <laughs> yeah. that we could add in as well. Look, I, I um, you know, I just, uh, at this time, it's a reflective time um, to... Uh, to think about the, you know, on an on an individual level, the pe the people have been that have been so influential in my life, um, that have supported me to, um, I guess, uh, not run away or or hide all my identities of, uh, uh, including my my sexuality. Um, I think the the thinking about. Um, you know, historically, um, in every country, the centering of lesbian women in every form of kind of civil rights movement, um, you know, uh, African-American women in civil rights, uh, writers in every sphere of life, we have these remarkable um, uh, cis and trans lesbian women women who love women who have made such a contribution to every sphere of my life um, and, and to the broader community. And in particular, you know, I think every um, rights pro, um, fight within LGBTIQ, you can um, centre and see lesbian women as incredible drivers of so many of those things. And like our mainstream uh, kind of feminist women as well, um, we often tend to forget about our own experiences or our own needs and the things that actually um, impact on us and, and on our bodies. Um, and also, um, uh, it made me reflect on what my experience has been in particular as a woman, but also as a lesbian um, CEO, for instance, for the last mm -hmm. 15 kind of years. Um, and, and I thought about the kind of, um, you know, what has been central to the kind of history of those movements has been, as I said, lesbian women who have been raging enough against injustice that they fight them, but then, you know, at the same time, it's also been a, a kind of a easy out for people to then say, oh, you know, the angry lesbian, the, if you're going to be a lesbian, be a nice lesbian. Um, and so my experience at being a woman, first and foremost, in uh, very early on, even before I was a CEO in very senior management positions was the, the unconscious bias and the misogyny at times that was about, if, if I was um, at all opinionated or raged against injustice or otherwise, the, the, the stereotypical kind of angry sort of lesbian uh, kind of stuff gets thrown out there. So you're kind of really used to that. Um, when you hear it within queer, um, I find um, 
that really disheartening and and um and recognize the fact that we've got a long way to go to own our own misogyny within um queer and and to understand that um and uh it's not something that any woman or any lesbian woman who's been in kind of very senior roles isn't used to and it still shocks me that even with the um you know the the public agenda and discussions around family violence that we're still seeing those kind of toxic masculinity kind of um uh stereotyping you know of lesbian women continues uh, in the same way it does around kind of straight you know feminist women um and i do think it's time that that uh people kind of need to sort of reflect on those experiences but also as a a white cis woman i know that i have to do better and continually reflect on uh making space and ensuring centering of women of color um etc um in any sphere that that i have available to me yeah and that is the thing that um, the majority, well, I think, or at least a significant percentage and certainly some degree of majority of, um, you know, women want to work together to um, overcome that misogynism that is so deeply entrenched. Um, there's sometimes some degree of difference in the, the focus, but that sort of thing. But I, I'm beginning to think slowly but surely for a lot not all there is that sense of well, okay how do we do what you're saying and that's so important on a day like international lesbian visibility day that we try to bring in lesbians and also acknowledge that there are lots of women who are attracted to women maybe not as the only gender they're attracted to but amongst one or more of others uh, which is important as well, and see that sense of commonality while respecting the diversity within it. Um, there is one part of your journey we haven't quite covered, and that is your work in Australia as a CEO, and perhaps any any learnings you'd pick up there, and perhaps particularly ones, if I can ask, that you think, again, are relevant to these, well, um, unprecedented in our time times, that we are in. It's just such a, um, yeah, it is just such an un, unprecedented time is the word, I think. Um, you know, very few people alive on the planet have experienced anything like this with this degree of, you know, sort of unusualness. You know, what are your reflections at this time? And I suppose, do you think, what sort of, have you had a chance yet to think that there may be some positives that come out of all of this current horrendous situation or challenging situation at least that it is well it is um you know like I, I i think it's pervasive like there's not that many kind of uh things in our history like in your and my lifetime that we can mm. think about um that has occurred that is kind of pervasive on one level um but what i've been interested in is because of the pervasiveness, there's been this kind of uh, idea that it's impacting a, us on us all, 
uh, in the same way and and in um, to the same degree. So, um, you know, even something, uh, you know, the the it is impacting it on us and the stay at home measures and the social distancing measures make us all feel very uncomfortable. Um, but it assumes home is safe. You have a home, you have a backyard, you don't live in high density housing, uh, that the surveillance measures and um, that have been put in place um, to keep us home uh, and for us to do the right thing are extremely threatening for for um, a lot of communities and a lot of people within communities who experience policing um, and in their normal lives regardless of whether there is a, a pandemic so it's not impacting us on us all in the same way and <clears throat> I think there's been a tendency particularly in mainstream media and in the kind of um, uh, measures and the, the the justification for those measures, which are all incredibly important. But uh, the question uh, needs to be asked um, and needs to be acknowledged that uh, for some people, this is going to have enormous impacts. And it starts this kind of narrative that, um, uh, you know, we'll get through, we'll be all right, etc. But you know, for the um, people who have lost jobs, uh, people who have been shut out of edu education that are far more likely to be in casualised workforces, the gendered nature of the impacts of this, of just staying at home, and the pressure often more likely to be on women to do the parenting and working the home office and the, those sorts of things, is that it is showing us that actually like any other sphere of life, it is a driver of inequalities and there will be an unequal experience when we're all having an experience. So I found that um, uh, quite scary and, and the idea that we need to acknowledge and lift up and, and, and name those things um, has been really important to me. Um, and as a kind of uh, a CEO of an organisation that reaches out to vulnerable communities and has works incredibly hard at having a social justice um, framework in terms of reaching out to those communities who are most marginalised, most disadvantaged, uh, our shift in focus is, is really clearly showing the same disadvantages for those groups of people whether it be First Nations, whether it be LGBTIQ or some in LGBTIQ, um, uh, then we've had to really make sure that our kind of business as usual activities actually addresses those issues as well. Yeah, <clears throat> no, very, very much so. So it sort of comes back that, you know, the inequity and inequality that exists in what I'm calling usual times is, you know, just even heightened and exacerbated in these, you know, sort of pervasive times. I'm really, and that really rang a bell, that word pervasive, that's a really good way to put it. Um, and I just will give a reminder of another great number, again, declaring an interest in my work as a partner in one eight hundred five four two eight four two eight. 
four seven being um, the with respect um, queer focused family violence um, hub in here in Victoria for those experiencing the other numbers around the country. Um, Karen, look, there's so much more we could um, talk about, um, but we are just about out of time for the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your contributions to so much of diversity and you know, to for me as a trans and bi woman, your contributions in there to our communities in terms of lifting people up and the work we do together. And I think it's just, yeah, it's phenomenal to hear hear that work and how you got such a great grounding that is carried through for your work and your life and will um, continue to do so in the future. And well, we look forward to. Um, when we can safely and legally um, sharing the rainbow and intersectional vibes together in person again and well there's always plenty we can talk about and hopefully sometime soon we'll be back in the 3CR studios to talk about it. Karen thanks so much so much so much for your time on Out of the Pan on 3CR 855 AM today. Thank you too Sal.
3CR 855 AM, 3CR digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally. What a great um, chat it was with Karen Field, someone who's really striven hard for diversity over a long, long time and had such a great grounding to start with. Just to run through the music thus far on the program today, we opened up um, way back at the start of the show with Melissa Etheridge's Heavy. In the middle of our chat with Karen, we heard from Christina Green, Separation Street, and we just heard from Helena de Pilar, and um, she's an artist from Colombia who um, has, um, who tracked her way through to me, um, someone who identifies as bi, and a track called A Day You Are Not With Me. And you can check that one out on all various media, including YouTube. Well, um, things are gradually, we'll say, grinding their way back into, um, you know, sort of or into online normalcy, if we can use such a term. And there are lots of services that will be resuming soon. I can report that um, for parents and family members and loved ones of trans and gender diverse people, that there will be a Zoom, uh, attempted a Zoom one um, next Saturday, the 2nd of May. So um, hop onto Trans Families website or you can please feel free to contact me and I'll get you in touch with where you need to be if you're a parent of a trans loved one. But things are coming on board. There's lots of concerts happening. Um, as mentioned, there's now the Kerry and Annie show um, every Thursday night and there's an event being put on by Quality Australia on the 2nd of May. So there's lots of queer entertainment and things settling in. Um, I will remind people of the various numbers um, for assistance at this time, doing the best that they can. Switchboard in, as part of QLife, 1800 184 um, Switchboard in Victoria and Tasmania, linking in with other services around the country. And also um, with respect, um, family violence support, 1800 542 847. It's not, as I've said um, over the last few weeks, an easy time for anyone at the moment, um, but people are digging deep, finding what they can. Their sense of humour is huge. People have seen the um, various groups like... Um, on the humorous side, COVID-19 funnies, where people are posting jokes um, that are respectful, we would hasten to add. There's also the bin isolation outing um, type of posts that are enormously humorous. Lots of people putting together performances of all sorts, concerts and many other things. Um, some generalists, some queer. Um, I couldn't help having a, an ironic chuckle at the Rolling Stones doing You Can't Always Get What You Want live from their own homes um, with Charlie Watts doing air drums. See, even the greatest can do it. I feel better now. Um, always check in with someone. Uh, keep saying this. It's one minute you can be a bit up, next minute you can be down. And, of course, you can have non-binary alternatives. But just um, for all of that, please just keep hanging there and... Um, giving it your best shot one, and reach out if you need it and the universe will, I th well, I'm not going to say it will always work, but it can work a lot of the time and if you can shout um, when you need the help and when, um, you know, you're in a better position to just be there for someone, it could be something as simple as posting a picture of your cat and dog on their Facebook page when they need it. It all is going to add up. Um, 
Yeah, um, I will not give general commentary on COVID. I don't know when it's going to be, we should be starting to ease restrictions. That's beyond my expertise. Naturally, we'd all want it to end tomorrow, but we perhaps know that's not going to happen. So um, keep living in the present moment. Anyway, once again, thanks to our guest today, Karen Field, um, um, giving her perspectives on life and just what will help us get through this um, from her perspective, really valuable and great intersectionality as part of International Lesbian Visibility Day. Um, it is something that exists that maybe at a time where there does seem to be a move to people, you know, feeling attracted to more than one gender where they don't see gender as such a, um, a box or whatever in terms of their own sense of identity or to whom they're attracted that maybe gay and lesbian and heterosexual might, well, they're not going to disappear. But um, there is a search perhaps for a new identity, but it is valid. And if you, it's the old story, you're being doing the best you can and treating others with respect and preferably and certainly not harming anyone else in any way through any means, then your identity is valid. And I have to say personally, overwhelmingly, I've had an overwhelming amount of support in my life from the lesbian community um on many levels and i'm very grateful for that so we'll take it out today with well something that certainly speaks to women attracted to women and that's jill sabule from the um early 90s and a bit of a classic and that's the track i kissed a girl and also want to say that if you want to share your story on the show get in touch with me by all the means of um, communication email out of the pan 855 at gmail.com message me on facebook are probably the best two or a, me a twitter message on at sal gold said so and well in a wrestling mode um someone of the same era um sal gold said so kind of may allegedly have a linkage to stone cold steve austin it is the 25th anniversary of Triple H's debut in WWE this week. There's your random WWE reference for the show. We just got it in in time. Take it out with Jill Sobule. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. Told me about bread, he's such a hairy behemoth She said, dumb as a box of hammers But he's such a handsome guy And I opened up and I told her about Larry And yesterday how he asked me to marry And I'm not giving him an answer yet I think I can do better So we laughed, compared notes We had a drink, we had a smoke Took off her overcoat I kissed a girl I kissed a girl She called on to say she'd be late He said he worried but now he feels safe I'm glad you're with your girlfriend Tell her hi for me and I looked at you, you had guilt in your eyes But it only lasted a little while And then I felt your hand above my knee And we laughed at the world They can have their diamonds and we'll have our pearls I kissed a girl I kissed a girl
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.